Welcome to the Let's Rise podcast, where we share motivating and inspiring content for the goal of rising together. Today's message has been specifically created just for you and your life circumstances. We hope that you enjoy this life-giving message brought to you by Pastor Christopher Lajian. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? So, we are in the third week of our Love Lockdown series, and the purpose of this series is to keep your love on lock because not everyone deserves your heart. If you give someone your heart that is undeserving of it, they may break it or drop it, and it causes heartbreak. So, our goal is to make sure you are in a healthy space for healthy relationships. First week, we spoke about not starting something you couldn't finish. We spoke about why marriages end in divorce, but how important marriages are, how important the vow that you make is so sacred because Jesus went to the cross because of a vow, a verbal commitment, a covenant. Week two, we talked about when is the right time to date, okay? And Pastor Tiana spoke so amazingly. She said, if you don't have it, you don't need it. If you don't have a job, you probably don't need to be dating. If you don't have the means to take care of yourself, resources, you probably don't need to be dating. If you don't have a high school diploma, probably shouldn't be dating. If you want to go to college, you probably want to wait till you get your degree. If you want to go to the military, you probably want to wait till you have finished your tour. If you want to go to a trade, you probably want to wait till you finish your trade before you consider dating so you can have money to pay your own bills. You don't want to rely on anybody else. And also, a mode of transportation. How are you getting around? Is it a car? Is it a bus? Is it Uber? Is it Lyft? How are you going to get from place to place? Also, do you have friends? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a good relationship with your family? These are the things that if you have them, cool. Maybe you want to get into a relationship. And we can't tell you a specific age because some people that might be 18, some people might be 21, some people might be 25. For me, all of you in here are not dating until you're 30. Can I get an amen? All right, there we go, there we go. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't like that. But still, only God can tell you when you're ready. But please, make sure you have your own, okay? Make sure you have your own resources. Make sure you can be self sufficient before you date. Now, today, we are going to get into a little harder topics because you live in a generation, we live in a generation where there's this new word that's been around forever, but it's being used in a new context. And I want you to be ready for it because you're going to have to make decisions. When it comes to healthy relationships or romantic relationships, a lot of things are going to be thrown at you, and you have to make a decision. So in this generation, we hear this term titled, my truth, my truth. And for this purpose, for the purpose of this sermon, I am only speaking about romantic relationships. I'm not speaking about victims that's been through things. I'm not speaking about any other thing except romantic relationships. So we hear my truth, my truth, my truth. And the issue we're seeing right now for Christians, okay, is if you disagree with someone that says my truth, you are being labeled as someone who is shaming somebody else, 
or someone who is phobic. You put phobic at the end of anything and it's the fear of that thing. And I want to encourage you today that I, I want you and I pray that you can stand strong in a generation that will force you to believe as they believe. But this isn't new. There's nothing new under the sun. Christians have been dealing with this since the beginning of time. So what I'm going to do today, I am going to remove my opinion. Okay? I will not give you one ounce of opinion today. I am going to mention a couple of questions and a couple of topics that you will face in your romantic relationships in the world. I will give you what the Bible says about it. And you have to decide what you believe. Okay? I will mention what happens. I will talk about what the Bible is. I will talk about what happens when you don't listen to the Bible according to the Bible. Everything I'm saying, the source is the Bible. The source is biblical context. I am not giving you an opinion, and you have to make a decision. Now, this message clearly would be for someone who says, I believe, I believe, I believe Jesus is Lord. But even if people don't believe Jesus is Lord or on the fence, I believe the words of the Bible have power, and they could change lives. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to title this sermon, My Truth Versus The Truth. My Truth Versus The Truth. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I pray that your Holy Spirit enters this room. If I even attempt to say something that is opinion, I want you to shut my mouth. I, I, I pray that this entire sermon comes directly from your word, and I just give information. And while I give information, I pray that your Holy Spirit can unlock thoughts, unlock hearts, unharden hearts, give proper perspective of these things so people can come to you, God. So people can feel your heart. You are worthy to be glorified and praised. And everyone says, amen, amen. So first, I want to open this up by saying this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So just by me saying that, Jesus is the way. If there is no way, if you don't know what to do, go the way Jesus wants you to go because he is the path. Jesus is the way. He is the road. So when you live in Jesus you can see where you're going, and you can know where you're going, and you can trust where you're going. Jesus is the truth. So when we're talking about truth, this is the issue with society. Society has its own truth, but Jesus is saying, I'm the truth. When Jesus says he's the truth, he's saying it from a perspective of, I know the beginning, the middle, and the end. When people have the truth, when people... When people have a version of the truth, it comes from their experience, it comes from their perspective, and it comes from their knowledge. The truth is, how many of you in here, by show of hands, know everything there is to know about everything? No. I, neither did I. Not me either. Okay? No one in here, knowing that we know knows everything to know about everything. There's a scripture that says, when completion comes, okay, what we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completion comes, we will know everything. And I believe completion, perfection, some versions of the Bible says, that's Jesus. When Jesus returns, we will know why Eve ate the apple, why Adam ate the apple. We will know every bit Every piece of human history, we will know the truth when Jesus comes. 
But because we don't have the whole truth, only God has the truth. Only God was there when humankind was being made, when the universe was being made. Only God is there when the earth is destroyed and a new earth is being created. He's the only one that has the full truth. I don't know everything about everything. Neither do you. So when I say my truth, it's coming from my perspective, what I know. So that's the issue when people are saying my truth, my truth, my truth. It is their truth. Yes. However, it's only from their perspective. You don't know the complete story. You don't know every side. A mentor told me this. There's always three sides to every story. Your side, their side, and the truth. And why is the truth in the middle? Because it's probably in between. So that's the issue right now. So when Jesus say, I am the way, the light, and the truth, that's, that's what exactly means. And the light, oh my gosh, this is so good. The light, when there's darkness, when there's uncertainty, when there's confusion, you turn on the light and you can see clearly. And you can see clearly because of Jesus. So Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is so precise, it can separate your soul and your spirit. It's so precise, it can separate your bone from your marrow. It's so precise that it judges your thoughts and your hearts. So when someone says your truth, that's one thing, but when God's word is being spoken, it is precise. It is precise. It is alive and it's active. We are never reading a dead word. Whenever the Bible is open, Jesus is there. So the Bible's truth versus human's truth. Psalms 15. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and cast out no slur on others. So when we're talking about biblical truth, we're talking about a truth who is that's blameless, that you have no fault. And according to scripture, we've all fallen short. We've all sinned. The only person that hasn't sinned is Jesus. The truth, the biblical truth is one who's righteous. So here's the, here's the good part. We all can be righteous. Apart from Jesus, scripture says, your righteousness is as filthy as rags. However, the moment you say, Jesus, I believe that you are my Lord and Savior. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Because of your faith, it is credited to you righteousness according to the Bible. So you can be righteousness. So the truth can live in you. Speaks truth from their heart. God doesn't judge your face. God does, doesn't judge your imperfections. God doesn't judge any of those things. God judges your heart. Who does no wrong to a neighbor. Here's the thing. When it comes to the truth, a lot of times it has something to do with someone else. Okay? How are you treating people? How is the person that is telling you their truth? How do they treat people? That can tell you a lot. Do they harm others? Because if they're harming others, that might let you know that might not be the truth coming from their mouth. Okay? But now let's get to what we're here for. What does the Bible say about David? That's what the scripture is about, right? 
What does the Bible say about dating? We're going to answer some questions. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about dating. No opinions here. First things first. Um, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. That is scripture. Psalms 119.9. That's exactly what that says. How can a person stay on a path of purity? By living according to your word. Purity and virginity are two different things. Notice, God keeps talking about the heart. Okay? There are people in this world that have gone through some, some, some harmful things. And if we just say purity is virginity, that removes them. However, God judges their heart, not what you've been through, not your experience. God judges your heart. And if you want to remain pure, you have to live by the word of God. Can I get an amen? So, first relationship in the Bible. This is Genesis 2.21-2.24. First relationship in the Bible. But, but for Adam, no suitable help, helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She is called woe, man, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So the first relationship that we know in human history is Adam and Eve. When God creates Eve, I want to be clear, this, this is a biblical perspective on relationships. Adam and Eve are equal. That is, that is a biblical. Adam and Eve, God created male and female in his image, in his likeness. He created them. It doesn't say God created male, then he created female. He created male in his image and woman in male's image. No. God created them male and female in his image. He created them. So Adam and Eve in the sight of God is equal. Also, in the New Testament, it states there is no gender. There is no male and female in Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees his child. He doesn't see male or female. Now, there's a reason he created male and female. We'll get to that in a little bit. He did create male and female for a reason. However, from his perspective, you are equal, you are loved, you are valued the same. So that is very important when it comes to relationships because this isn't a place where, as a man, you get to tell your girlfriend or your wife what to do because you're a man. That is not the truth. Or as a girl, you get to tell your boyfriend or your husband what to do, and he has to listen to you. That is not the truth. The truth is you are equal. You need to live and listen to each other. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Companionship. Adam and Eve, Adam was alone. There was no suitable helper, none of the animals. So Eve was created to be a companion for Adam and Adam was a companion for Eve. So the truth is in a relationship you're friends. We are created to be friends. We're created to be there for each other. We're created to have each other's back. 
So when it comes to a relationship, a biblical definition of a relationship is to be there for one another. Pity the man who has no one to pick him up when he falls. Two are better than one. Once again, these are all scriptures. We were created to be each other's friends. To the point where God even says, love your enemy. He wants us to have companionship so much that he wants you to sit at a table in the presence of your enemies and eat. He wants you to love your enemy. That's how much God loves companionship. And then finally, helpmate, helpmate. Eve wasn't created to serve Adam. That happened after the fall. After the fall, God created rules. God said you would be against each other. But in the beginning, Eve was created to help Adam. If Adam was the president, Eve was the co-president. If Adam was the captain, Eve was the co-captain. She was there to help, to do whatever that needed to be done, they did it together. So that that's the first relationship, the first marriage we've ever seen. They are their, their equals, their friends, and they help each other. That's the first marriage we see. Throughout the Bible, honestly, there's nothing but marriage. We don't see a lot of dating. So that's where things get confusing. That's where people give their opinion. Right. So what is the point of dating? If the Bible doesn't talk about dating, but the, the Bible talks about two important relationships. Right. It talks about multiple important relationships. But the main two, the main two is the relationship between God and you. And who are you considered to God? His bride. The church is God's bride. Fellas, that is us two. I know in society right now, that sounds weird to say you are a bride, my man. But the tr truth, the biblical truth, fellas, you are the bride of Christ. Just like the ladies are the bride of Christ. That's a marriage. And the, most, the second most important relationship is your earthly marriage. So there's the heavenly marriage between us and God and the earthly marriage between us and whoever we decide to marry. Now, it is true. Some people can say, I want to focus on God so much that I won't get married. I will take a vow of celibacy and I will be alone. I will be with God. I choose not to get married. There are people in the Bible that said, I choose not to get married because I choose to be married to God. This is true. You can do that. However, if you're not going to be married to God solely, it's probably better for you to get married so you don't sin. So you don't fall in sexual immorality. So you don't get into trouble. So you don't have a, kids that don't know where you are or you can't handle them or you can't take care of them. Mistakes happen. I get that. However, for we're in the prevention business. God is in the prevention business. This is not the sermon that, you know, I'm not coming down on anyone that's made a mistake. That's okay. We're just talking about right now, everyone in this room has an opportunity and a chance not to go down a certain path, and we just want you not to go down that path. People that have, there's grace, there's mercy, there's favor. Okay, so the point of dating in the Bible has to be marriage. Everywhere you see, every relationship you see, they're either married or they're about to get married or someone sent someone 
to look for the wife, to look for the spouse. So in dating, in your dating relationships, you have to ask yourself, do I want to marry this person? Because if not, why waste your time? Why waste your time? All right, next, next thing I want to clear up. Is it okay to date an unbeliever, someone that is not a Christian? The answer is no. No missionary dating. Missionary dating is this term that was created that states that I'm Christian. I can date someone that's not Christian, and by them dating me, they can become Christian. No, it doesn't work like that. Because here's what it states in Scripture. In the New Testament, Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together. Okay, that is tied together. That is bonded together. And what is a marriage? A bond. You're tied together. You're one person. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? I, I want to clear that up. Remember, righteousness is to be right with God. Righteousness is to be in good standing with God. Wickedness is to be apart from God in rebellion with God, not doing what God tells you to do. See, in society, we have this notion of good and evil. We say, if you do this, you're good. good. If you do that, you're evil. Once again, that's society's truth. God's truth is, if you do what God says, if you believe in God, that's righteousness. If you don't do what God says, that's wickedness. That's rebellion. There's blessing in when you do what God says. There's curses when you do, don't do what God says. So <clears throat> what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light and darkness have? This is what scripture says about dating an unbeliever. Also, 1 Kings 11.2. This goes deeper. They were... From nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. We're going to talk about Solomon in a second. Scripture is saying right here, why do you not marry an unbeliever? Is it because they're necessarily bad people or they do evil things, stuff like that? Not really. It's one specific reason. First Kings 11 two. You don't intermarry. You don't marry people from non-believers because love is so powerful. That you can turn from God. Because you love someone else. And that's the God on his truth. God is our first husband. We are his bride. If we marry a person on earth that is also Christian, guess what? You both are married to God and married to each other. Me and my wife, God is number one in our lives. We listen to God first. After we listen to God, we consult each other to make sure we are on the same page that God has us on. If I want to do something that is not according to God's will, Tiana has every right to say no. If Tiana wants to do something that is not according to God's will, I have every right to say no. In our marriage, God is the number one husband. 
and then we then it's us. So when you marry someone that's heart isn't aligned with God, you can love them so much you turn your backs on God. When you look at the Old Testament, this is what continues to happen. The people who are supposed to be in love with God fall in love with other people, other religions, other cultures, other customs, get themselves in trouble, get themselves in slavery, get themselves in debt, get themselves in war, and they pray to God who loves them to come saves them. He comes and saves them, and the cycle starts over again. They love God for a little bit, but then they cheat on him and love someone else that doesn't have anything to do with his cultures or customs. They get themselves in trouble, and then they ask him to come save them over and over and over again. That is the entire Bible. So when, when Scripture says do not marry unbelievers, it's for the sole purpose of understanding this. You don't want to be around anyone or anything that will turn you away from God. Because when you turn away from God, you are out on your own. There is no umbrella. There is no protection. Now, I said we talk about Solomon. Um, Solomon is very interesting because 1 Kings 11, 2 is talking to Solomon. It's talking about Solomon, right? And so Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. A concubine is not your wife. It's just someone who you have children with, who lives in your house, who you're in a relationship with, but they don't have the wife privileges. And it is asked, is it okay to have multiple partners? People say, well, Solomon had basically a thousand women. Why did God allow that? How come he had a thousand women? How come, how come, how come? However, the answer to this is no. You cannot have multiple partners. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, this is before Solomon's time. Okay, this is before anything. Scripture says, neither shall he marry multiple wives for himself, lest his heart turns away. So unless your heart has turned away from God, you cannot take multiple wives. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. You can't have multiple wives, multiple partners, unless your heart has turned away from God. And when you have multiple partners, it is expensive. It, it costs you everything. Dare I say it, God punished every man in the Bible that had multiple wives. Every, look it up, every man that had multiple wives did something in the eyes of the Lord, and he was punished for it. The first place we see this is Lamech in the Bible. The Lamech is the first person we see that had multiple wives. And it stated he killed someone, and he said if Cain is punished seven times, let me be punished 77 times, seven times. Like he's the first person we see with multiple wives, and he was punished. David, the one God loves, the one who was after God's own heart, had an affair once, and his entire kingdom was split apart for it. Solomon, David's son, who built the temple of God. Yes, he had all of these women, but at the end of his life, 
He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes really sounds depressing because he's sitting here like, what's the meaning of it all? I have everything. He had everything because he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom and gold and everything else. Solomon had everything, but because he didn't listen to God, he said all of it was worth it, worthless. So the answer is no. You cannot have multiple partners. No matter what society is saying, you cannot. It just, there's no blessing in it. It always costs you something. And if you have multiple partners, it means your heart has turned away from God. <clears throat> now, here's the big one. What does the Bible say about same-sex relationships? Oh, the church, we get in trouble so much. Um. Jesus, Jesus didn't speak about same-sex marriages or relationships. However, it's important to note what Jesus did say. And the reason this question is, is very, very important for the generation now is because, I don't know if you noticed, but the church is getting into a lot of trouble. The church is, dare I say, being persecuted. On one hand, the church is in trouble in my, in, in, in what I see, the church is in trouble because they are turning away people who identify as homosexual, people who identify as gay and lesbian. They are turning them away. They are shunning them. They're telling them, you are not a part of us. They're telling them, get out. However, however, according to scripture, all have sinned. According to scripture, there is no sin greater than the other. According to scripture, sexual immorality, which the church is saying, oh, if you're homosexual, you're being sexually immoral. Well, so is cheating on your wife. And there's a lot of people that have cheated on their wives that are still in the church. So is cheating on your husband. There are a lot of people that have cheated on their husband and they're still in the church. Okay? So we have to be careful on who we decide to kick out or who we decide to exclude from the gospel because Jesus said go into all the world, all the nations. Jesus said love your neighbor. Jesus said make disciples of all the nations. So if Jesus is saying we need to go to everyone and love them, just because someone identifies as homosexual, doesn't mean we have the right to shun them. Now, we're going to give them the truth. I'm going to read scripture now. However, we do not have the right as a church to tell someone you don't belong here. You're going to hell because you identify as this thing. Because, because we will quote the law. People will quote the law. Jesus also said, if you live by one part of the law, you have to live by it all. So if you're saying you're because of the law, because of the Mosaic law, this is sin, that means you yourself have to live by the entire law. So if earrings, no-no. Tattoos, no-no. Mohawks, no-no. Blends of fabric, no-no. Eating specific type of food, no-no. If you want to say it is against the law, it is against the Mosaic law to be homosexual, fine. That it's, it's in there. However, that means you have to live by the entire law. The entire law. So on one hand, 
I do think, I do see, excuse me, not think, I do see, according to scripture, the church rightfully is in a lot of trouble for excluding God's people. For not showing the love of God and the grace of God to people. This is true. I, I, I see, biblically, we can't do that. However, persecution, you can tell the truth. It is not wrong for you to say, I believe in the Bible. See, don't even say, I think it's wrong. Don't even say, I believe it's wrong. Simply say, I believe God's word. Because when you say, I believe God's word, it's also saying, hey, God is saying this, don't do this. But God is also saying, I'm, I love you. God is also saying, I'm there for you. God is also saying, I'm, I'm your friend. God is also saying, you're my neighbor. God is also saying, we can eat together. God is also saying, we can be friends. So when you say, I believe in God's word, there, there's, no, there's no law. There's, no, there's nothing they can say about that. Because you're putting it on God. Let God fight the battle. But what does Jesus say? He may not have spoken about homosexuality. But what did he say? This is Matthew 19, 4. He answered, have you not read? Once again, the word. This is Jesus. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. God created genders for a reason. If he didn't want genders, he wouldn't have created genders. Do I know why? No. What I do know is he created male and female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He said them because of your heart, your hardness of your heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Once again, he says the same exact thing in Mark 10, 3. So this is Jesus stating God in the beginning created male and female to join together as one as a married couple. This is what Jesus did say. Everything outside of that is opinion. Everything outside of that is emotion. Everything outside of that is other people's experience. Everything outside of that is what the world says. And you know what? I'm not arguing. I'm gonna be honest with you. I have a ton of friends who are homosexual. And I love them. They're my friends. They know exactly where I stand. They know I'm a pastor. They know I believe in the Bible. They know that if they ask me if I think what I think, I will tell them. Well, God says he created male and female to live together, to be joined as husband and wife. That's what I go by. And that's it. They're not going to change my mind. Sometimes, sometimes we can change their mind. Sometimes we can't. But you know what we can do? We can still be friends. We can still be friends. God's word is God's word. Dear children, 
Let us not love the words or speech, but with acts. Let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. It's not enough to just tell someone God is love. You have to show them too. You, if they're hungry, you feed them. If they need a friend, you talk to them. That's how you change hearts, y'all. If you have friends that are struggling with listening to God's word or not, be their friend. Show them the love of God. So when it's time that they ask you, what do you think? You can say, well, God says this. Now, you got to know your word. You got to know the Bible. But God says this, and, I, and, and this is what I live by. This is what I believe, what God says. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At the end of the day, we choose to believe in the Bible. We choose in a Bible that is without error. We choose to believe in a Bible that is inspired from God. We choose to believe in the Bible, period. So because it's what the Bible says, that's what we live by. What happens if we don't listen? Okay, what happens when people don't listen for whatever reason, whether it's the homosexuality topic, whether it's cheating on your spouse, whether it's just not doing what God told you to do? Well, it says this in Jeremiah 17, 5. This is what the Lord says. Curse is the one who trusts in man. I want to say the world's truth right there who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity. When it comes, they will, they will dwell in parched places, thirsty, um, places of the desert, salt land, a, um, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by its stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fa fails to bear fruit. So listen, you ever notice Christians, people that are in their Bible and praying, they seem like they're never distraught. They seem like they're never stressed. They seem like they don't have a worry in the world. That's because they've given it all to Jesus and they trust that it will be taken care of because his word does not come back null and void. However, the people that do not have Christ, that do not believe in God's word, that do not follow God's word, it's always something. There's always some struggle. We all go through it. The difference is when you have God, you get through it easier. When you don't have God, it feels like the weight of everything is on your shoulders. So you can... People can do what they want. You can do what you want. However, God's word is God's word. When you go apart from God's word, there's struggles that you have to deal with on your own, it seems like. What should I do when they don't listen to me? Right? Because it's hard to speak God's truth in a generation of my truth. You can lose your place in society. You can be persecuted. Okay? And I'm asking you not to persecute anyone else. I'm asking you, even if they, even if they turn their backs on you and say you're phobic this and phobic that or you're shaming me, you still love them. You still say, hey, I love you. Hey, you know, I, I'm praying for you. You still say that because this is what scripture says. And I'm going to close with this. 
It is in 2 Timothy 4. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience. What does that look like? Hey, the word of God says this. Correct, rebuke. Hey, shouldn't do that because of the word of God says this. Encourage. Hey, the word of God says this. You can do it with great patience. Everything goes back to the word of God. And with careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ear wants to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, go out to the nations and spread the gospel. The gospel is God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son to die so that you might have life and life more abundantly. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am pour being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the day, and not only to me, but also all who have longed for this appearance. So here's the truth, right? Your job in here is to go out and be Christians. Go out and know what the Lord says. Go out and know what the Bible says. When it comes to the hard topics of the world, everyone will have their truth. I, I didn't want to get specific into it because honestly it doesn't matter because people go through things. People have experiences we will never have. People have a perspective you will never have. So the most important thing you need to have is the love of God when you're talking to people. The most important thing you need to have is the word of God when you're talking to people. If you're going to correct someone, you have to correct them with the word of God. If you're going to rebuke someone, you have to rebuke them with the love of God. All discipline is with love. We're not going out there to hurt people's feelings. And I'm saying that because when you say, I don't agree in this generation, people will say, well, you're shaming me. Well, why don't you agree? They will throw all stuff at you. But guess what? Everything they throw at you, they throw at Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He came to earth and told the church, I don't agree with what you're doing. This is how we do it. Told the church, hey, stop treating people this way. This is what we're supposed to do. And he was killed for it. He, he healed on the Sabbath. They didn't like it. So the truth is, there's nothing you can do to not face the hardship or the rejection or the persecution. There's nothing you can do. However, you are called to stand. You are called to speak. You are called to teach. You are called to love. And you're called to live the right way. So I pray everyone in here that you find a husband or a wife that loves you. And if you decide to stay married to God alone, that's amazing too. I pray that everyone in here can have one spouse and one spouse only. I pray that everyone in here, in your relationship, you're equal. You're friends and you help each other. I pray that every lady in here can respect your husband. That's what the Bible asks. I pray that every man in here can love your wife. 
That's what the Bible asks. I pray that everyone in here is fruitful. You have children. That's what the Bible says. There's no opinion in here. I pray the Bible over your life. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to godly relationships, we have a guide that is the Bible. And I pray you live by it. I know you can live by it. And I know, according to the Bible, if you live according to the word of God, you will be blessed. So be blessed by us. Thank you for listening. We hope that this message has confirmed what God has already placed in your heart. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And remember, you rise when you study God's word and we rise when we unite God's kingdom. Let's rise together.